Government, a podcast dedicated to resilience and reason in the time of Trump. I am one of your co-hosts, Kamala Shrau, and with me is... Uh, Miracle Jones. And Alexis Wright. Uh, you guys survive? Polar Vortex is back. You have all your limbs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. One of, my co- one of my co-workers is Finnish, or old co-workers, rather, and she spent a lot of time in Helsinki. Uh, and she used to say that cold like this was cleansing. <laughs> it just kills off all the parts of you that need to die. Right. I don't like know. Like your toes? I, yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't yeah. buy that at all. I feel like it's very optimistic. Yeah, yeah, sometimes you think about it as I'm walking around in like 15 degree weather. Parts that, of you need to die that you hadn't realized yeah, before. Yeah, but it's like a little cross-country coach <laughs> saying like, you know, like pain is weakness yeah, in yeah. the body. I, I, no, I like <laughs> pain is... My my nerves letting me know that something is terribly wrong and I've made a mistake, but uh, that's just my opinion. Well, I mean, I... <laughs> also probably medical fact. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hear freezing to death is actually a pretty nice. Thing, <laughs> Much better uh, than like burning to death. Yeah, yeah, sure, supposedly. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna opt out of both. <laughs> <laughs> no, you have to pick. Like I hear, but I hear drowning is actually the worst of the three. But I um, imagine it's so much faster. Maybe. You don't think drowning is faster than burning to de- I guess it depends on the level of heat. Well, with burning to death, it's really painful all at once, and then all your nerves basically die immediately. It's just, like, white hot. I feel like even the knowledge that you are burning to death and can smell your own flesh right. cooking probably... There's no hope. So this has been a very warm yeah. opening to Room of Requirement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a good... Yeah, uh, so we were cold this weekend? It's cold in New York. Uh, city. Did you guys ever see um, the old OkCupid okay site blog? Had like a lot of sort of um, kind of data visualization stuff and one of them was people's answers to the question about like how happy are you and it was just like a heat map of how close to the equator you are (laughs) yeah it's like how do you feel the more sun you get the better you feel it turns out yeah yeah so how's everybody how's everybody been doing uh good my wife is uh one uh condoing our apartment so do you guys know this verb oh no. sure uh, marie condo my wife was into her for a while right and now she has a netflix show and apparently the netflix show is so successful <laughs> that um across the country uh various thrift stores are overwhelmed with yeah. so many people getting rid of stuff that doesn't give them joy so kamalish do you give her joy? <laughs> yeah. You're the first person to ask this question today. And I would say that so far you start with easy things and then yeah. you work your way down. Uh, so the relationship question comes down maybe in the third or fourth week. Right now she's just working through, like, T-shirts. Right. I see. After like letters easy stuff. Yeah, yeah. emails. Yeah. Then comes husbands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I don't know. We'll see that. Uh, at the same time, uh, my wife is also starting a diet. So, um, Ah, is right. she someone who gets hangry, or is she more... Oh, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Facts. Yes. <laughs> I feel like hangry doesn't do it justice. Yeah. <laughs> is any chance it's low carb? I find that that really helps with the hangry thing after the first three days of going completely insane. Oh, is that she needs a lot of carbs? If she cuts it out, she'll, she won't be hangry anymore? Well, it's like a lot of like hanger is... Um, blood sugar spikes uh, and so once your body's fully adjusted to low carb uh, your blood sh- sugar is stable uh, that's um, interesting yeah. well we'll see I or mean, that's been my experience <laughs> so that was my long weekend yeah condoing and diet yeah, and yeah so yeah, that yeah. was it was good you seem very condo neutral 
to me explain. Oh, I'm naturally a hoarder. Are you really? I'm naturally well, with a comic hoarder. books, I know, but like... Yeah, I'm naturally like, a hoarder. I, uh, child of immigrants, I, I yeah. hoard everything, and it's only after... I think either meeting my wife or having lived with women uh, I wasn't re- uh, in any kind of relationship with, like, I, had, I was forced to, like... S- you know, just spew off all the garbage that I collected. Otherwise, I just naturally don't like to throw away things. Yeah, I mean, I naturally like to throw away things. I, don't, <laughs> I think it's a response to that. I just like to be flexible and mobile. So feel I like I have like to be ready to go at any time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Suitcase, suitcase packed at all times. Uh, that's admirable. At some point, I think, uh, maybe in the apartment we had before, when we were living in Brooklyn still, I had to throw away my collection of economists, and there were like 12 years of the economists. Oh, no. Oh, Did you read shit. any of them? I read all of them. Oh, my God. <laughs> I hoard. I hoard. Yeah. I, hoard yeah. I hoard the economists. I used to hoard. I used to hoard the economists. I used to hoard comic books. Yeah, yeah. Still kind of hoard books. I gave up. Papers. Yeah. I gave up book hoarding in college. There was one year when I moved, I think, seven times, and yeah. I just at that oh. point it's just bricks. It's just yeah. boxes of bricks. At that point, you start yeah. to. Come and you're books. like, you know what? Maybe ebooks. Maybe mm. it's time to move toward ebooks. So you know. Um, well, I you know I buy a lot of books, even though I don't keep them. And when I'm done with them, I just give them to people that I think would like them, huh. or I get rid of them because mm-hmm. then I'm just deleting something from the world yeah. that like no one should have to <laughs> <laughs> I see I don't know I, I tend to go I I feel like ebooks allows me to like indulge my book hoarder impulse without yeah. having to indulge any actual hoarder impulse yeah, you know yeah. like um, so what qualities in a book make you want to keep it um, the things that want make me want a physical book in my home are if I read it during a very influential part of my life where yeah. like I connected to the book in some way um, that really left like a strong emotional impression with me or like if it made me think a new thought or like question a premise that I had not previously questioned. Um, I like to have the physical book in my house because I walk by it. It yeah. like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. re-impresses itself upon me. Um, and, you know, sometimes just purely sentimental reasons like somebody gave me the book or looks pretty or whatever yeah no that's all fair yeah i like books that make me look impressive <laughs> oh that's the only books to keep or books that are like mm, did you read all these and it's like why yes i did <laughs> but other than that i'd throw them away like you know books are friends for me but i guess i'm ruthless about pruning my friends <laughs> i only keep the ones that make me seem impressive it's dark and cold. <laughs> yeah, what about you what, what qualities in a book like do you make them keep Want you to keep them? I think I agree. Like I, I think it's about some combination of hey, I really like this book. It was influential, uh, and then uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I keep books to make me look impressive. Right. I keep a lot of textbooks that I probably should. That's keep. a good idea though, because it's something you might go back to, right? Yeah. Like, theoretically. It's yeah. I mean, it has I, information I, that you might want again. I'm one of those people who actually studied something and yeah. then continued in that field so like it's actually relevant yeah yeah exactly you might need to refer right yeah, exactly yeah. it's important uh sort of um everything's on the web who am i kidding you guys have, have read fahrenheit 451 right? i have you know how they have to like memorize a book yeah yeah it's been a long time since i read it that's like every since books are all burned like everybody's gotta like mm-hmm. you know if you want to be part of it you just become that book mm-hmm. and so all these people like are like this roving gang yeah yeah it's very inefficient they should just make a printing press but yeah. i digress what book would uh what book would you want to be if you took oh I, I so do you memorize an entire book or do you remember memorize passages in the book the I whole book like ideally. oh yeah. oh then i would yeah. be a short one <laughs> <laughs> like 
I don't know. Like, what can I get away with? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's like. Some... But then anytime anybody needs that info, you're this is gonna be right. You like, it's response. a short book. Yeah, you might be. Yeah, something so someone's always asking about. Like, so, so, so you become the go-to point of reference for this book that exactly. everyone must refer to. The yeah. Bible. I picked the Bible. Really? Yeah. Everyone has to go to stop. me. <laughs> everyone has to come to you me for like authoritative <laughs> answers on the Bible. Unverifiable answers. Right. All right, all right. Maybe not yeah. the Bible. Maybe. I'll go with Sun Also Rises. It's pretty thin. Yeah. Uh, it's probably enough that really? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's still a classic. But did you like that book? I, I didn't. I didn't dislike it. I wasn't crazy about it. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike. I mean, I, I think it was a pretty good book, and it's short, and it, you know, it's enough of a classic to be like, hey, thanks, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm helping preserve Hemingway of all people, but whatever, I get it. <laughs> right. But anyway, I get away with memorizing a relatively small. Uh, Wait, yeah, is this literature. is this predicated on the idea that I actually have the capacity to memorize this book? Because I definitely well, you can't memorize they, an actual full book. You just have the book till you're done with it, like till you have it memorized, I right? See, and then I you see. can get rid of it at your discretion. Right? What would you pick? Oh, just any any porn. It doesn't matter because <laughs> that would be it would lead to surprising and exciting results. Anytime somebody needed <laughs> reference from me, <laughs> and also no one would, right? TV off. Yeah, why would you do? Why would you do porn literature? Yeah. I mean, like, in the, as in the World of porn, porn in Hype 451, like surrounded by yeah, screens. I'm it's sure, bullshit. I'm sure <laughs> pornography is so much better. Uh, see, here's here's what you're missing, Kamala. Is yeah. um, the market that likes written porn is women. Yeah. Well, right. Almost overwhelmingly. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Yeah. I learned a lot just now. <laughs> um, so uh, typically, uh, the Brahmin caste. In India, you're assigned a certain part of the Vedas. Oh, really? really? Yeah. So I, I know my, I know what uh, Veda I'm supposed to memorize. Actually, is this have you memorized it? No, God, <laughs> my father did it. My, I don't think my grandfather did either. Oh, actually, maybe my grandfather did. Wait, so is that it? What? Is it gonna die now? <laughs> no, it's written. Okay. <laughs> I mean, just in wait case. A, wait <laughs> a humble brag about your cast. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I'm mixed, and like you know, yeah. we're the poor. You know what? Memorizing verse doesn't keep you from starving. So, like, mm -hmm. yeah. It, um, so, yes, you are there. When I you do certain ceremonies, you you tell who you are and what what uh, I guess who your fathers are, but also what your lineage is in terms of the scholarly lineage of the of the piece of the Veda that you are a part of. Wow, that's pretty awesome. That's kind of cool. Yeah, actually. Yeah, I guess, <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, yeah. yeah. I have to remember what it is. But yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't have a Canterbury. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, so, so should we... Well, I wanted to start out with talking about where we are in the shutdown negotiations. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, only because I had a uh, thought and I wanted to air it out with you all yeah. mm -hmm. to see what you guys thought. So okay. I found myself waking up and being like, this is a path in which we will default on the treasury bond. <laughs> and so I think we will just stumble towards a completely terrible outcome. And I'm not saying that we will. Sorry, that's not the right word. Yeah. But we could. Right. Didn't the oh, House yeah. change up the rules package? Or weren't they trying to change up the rules package so that any time that you passed anything budget-related, you auto-raised the debt ceiling? I thought that was, like, under discussion, at I least. I think it was under discussion. Yeah, never yeah. would it would have been a good idea. Never, yeah, yeah it would have been. Yeah. Oh, regrets. We've all had a few. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the budgeting process. Uh, so I... And I remember this only because this is actually how the podcast started. Because I remember being in Japan after the or during the 2016 election after the results came in, and I was like, "Oh, we're going to default on the treasury bond." 
no. And uh, so it came back to me, and I I have a, a line of thinking about it. Yeah. But I just want to say that this would also be in keeping with Donald Trump's basic MO, is, right. you know, doing something stupid and then trying to leverage his personality and name and then eventually defaulting. But so. surely someone will tell him what will happen <laughs> to the retirement accounts of his target demo. Maybe. I don't know. So I feel like... Wait, wait, back. So, what would happen? Yes, walk us through what what happens if we default. Right. Well, so what? So, what are the ramifications? Or let me. Okay. So, walk. uh, Let me walk you through. So, I I don't have a path of how we get there necessarily, but I do have a feeling that you know, just by uh, just by how the Democrats are effectively holding a very firm line, which I think strategically and politically is where they are, and I don't know if they have a lot of room to negotiate. I'm not sure they're their base wouldn't want them to do anything right now it could just continue to ratchet up consequences stalemates falling out and eventually things don't get budgeted and one of the things that doesn't get budgeted is the ability of the treasury to meet its debts right and that's technical default like if you miss uh, a payment then you are in default now what happens what happens so Classically, when you default in any way, interest rates just skyrocket. And so this has had a huge ramification for the rest of the global economy because so much of interest rates in the world are pegged to the U.S. Treasury. Yeah. And so this could be problematic. It also affects how we borrow and what, and I think in general, modern society has a very ambivalent relationship with credit and borrowing, but interest rates really dictate a lot about our lives. And so... I don't know whether or not we would be resilient enough. We'd be like, oh, psych, we got it. Don't worry, we learned our lesson. We just missed a couple of payments. Don't worry, you still need us. We'll pay. uh, Well, a a couple things. One sort of additional background, because I don't know how comfortable everyone who listens to the podcast is with sort of financial instruments in general, right? Um, Bonds, uh, U.S. bonds, uh, treasury bonds, traditionally considered to be pretty much the safest asset you can buy, right? So um, when people in finance calculate what they call the risk-free rate, that is the rate of return that you can get on something with absolutely no chance that it will ever fail, they use the 10-year U.S. Treasury bond. So um, should we default on our bonds, we are blowing up all existing assumptions about risk and finance. Also, for a little more context around that, so um, if you go to a financial advisor, conventionally, when you're talking about how you want to put your your money in your 401k, traditionally they will tell you something like, what is it, um, your percentage of your portfolio that's essentially in U.S. bonds should be, what is it, your age Age, minus... Uh, I forget what it is, but so if you're 70, roughly 70, then you should have something like 70 odd percent. So seniors in theory are looking at between 70 and 90 percent of their income creating retirement investments in U.S. Treasuries. Um, So context. Yeah. So I mean, this so this is an underplayed risk because what has happened over the past several financial cycles where things go bust and, and boom in the financial markets everyone just rushes to the to, to the treasury bond that's always the like even though the treasury bond has been weakened and all these government sort of infighting and budget fights have weakened effectively its financial um, status I guess or financial standing even though it's still fairly highly rated and our long-term budget outlook isn't good whenever there's a panic in the financial markets you turn back to the treasury bond for one reason so it's a very it's one of the few like you could argue it's still a relatively over 
valued asset and has been for a long time. And it's something that we haven't gone back and really adequately assessed the risk of. Whereas in, in, in finance, yeah. from the U.S. government's perspective, this is great. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, if you're if someone's willing to lend you money cheaply, take it. Yeah. yeah so I, that's that's generally like the, how the government wants to do it. But anyway, so this is a nightmare. Question on your concern here. Um, and this is just my first thought is what makes us assume that instead of defaulting on bonds, the United States won't just violate the Anti-Deficiency Act, as we essentially have been in order to call back furloughed workers who are not actually needed to prevent loss of life or property? I, I'm i not saying that there's a, kind of a deliberate path. Yeah, yeah. I think this is just something that yeah. ends up being some combination of uh, dysfunctional negotiation, some temper tantrum on one side or the other. We obviously know what the likelihood of whose side it is. And the fact is that the Treasury Department is in charge of making bond payments. And it's headed by Steve Nuchin, who is supposedly bright, but is actually not, I don't think. Um, and so I could see that machinery just falling apart at some point. Like literally I, someone I just gets wonder, right yeah, I just wonder if under those circumstances, the best decision that that you might ever have seen out of the Trump administration is one that I could plausibly believe that Mnuchin would make, which is just to violate the law and pay out on bonds anyway. That's very possible. Yeah, I mean, I I think it's an extreme scenario. Mm -hmm. I don't know how likely it is, but Mm -hmm. I just have this feeling like, oh, we are going, this is how we default. This Mm -hmm. is how financial, whatever financial stability, whatever the bedrock of the financial markets has brought to the U.S. and the world, this is how it crumbles. We're all dead inside from a few years of brinkmanship that we now think we can get away with unlimited brinkmanship. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of the things that, because we've been through a lot of these, these kind of, these shutdowns that we are like, oh, we can get through two or three weeks because we always get through two, two or three weeks and we can until we can't. And then all of a sudden something really catastrophic happens. And one of the possibilities is it's a financial catastrophe. Uh, that that was just one of the things I was thinking about. I'm not sure it will happen, but I'm saying that the Democratic um, stance of not really negotiating ha- comes with risks. So I was curious what you guys thought about that. I mean, I would say that it is uh, a Republican government that is shut down, so it's on, incumbent on them to reopen in order to negotiate. But that is the... Uh, I mean, it, I don't, I don't, I don't think this is a democratic process we're looking at. I think it's a minority party using the last vestiges of its power to uh, overturn the will of the people uh, in a way that is should provoke overtly anti-democratic. Yeah, should provoke no. like uh, much more outrage than it than it is. But because uh, we are still in an age where the pain is divorced from the people who would be outraged it hasn't yet so until people realize that they are the people the citizens that are having this done to them we aren't actually going to get anywhere and the the last vestiges of this minority party exerting its you know control over the majority will i mean this is a natural process right I, I hate that reasoning. I hate it. Uh, uh, so but do you I, think well, it's wrong? Uh, well, I do. <laughs> I I do, and I think of this because I don't love putting politics first. Because I mean, this is right. this has huge consequences. Like I understand the political right. game. I understand the brinkmanship. I and I am a fan of Nancy Pelosi. You know, having a, a uh, gun battle with Donald Trump in the halls of the Congress. Like, I think that's great. Like, I want that to happen. So I think... But they were elected. I think that that 
if we are concerned about that, the person who it is incumbent upon to solve this problem, who's been notably absent, is Mitch McConnell. Sure, yeah, one right? So, I, so the way I think about it, right, is that you have a baby gorilla with a machine gun, and then you have the zookeeper who's not, you can't find, so what do you do? Do you just be like, hey, baby gorilla, you shouldn't shoot the machine gun? Or do you figure out how to, like, get the machine gun away from I the don't baby think, gorilla? I don't think that anyone that Trump disagrees with is categorically obligated to fold to him because he might break something, right? We elected him the president of the United States, right? That's the president that we have. Okay, so... <laughs> So I, I, I'm not, I, I just want to play this this yeah, line of yeah, argument yeah. out. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, at yeah. some point, what, where, where are we willing to compromise with Trump because it's for the best of the country? It doesn't matter. The process for compromise is the democratically elected body of the legislature. This is what we're doing right now is a, outside of the rule of law. It's outside of what we elected the legislature to do, right? So we have a legislature whose primary job, at least at this point, is to pass a budget. And they're not being allowed to do that because the, the person whose job it is has decided that he wants to go completely supine, not execute the will of the people, and instead allow the executive, whose job is not to pass this budget, is not to determine what the will of the people is, but only to execute the will of the people, to be in charge of executing the, what this body of people is supposed to do. It's counter to the way the government is supposed to work, and until people get that message, this will just keep happening. It needs to end immediately. We need to not have our executive running the so, Congress. What Congress should be at least co-equal to the executive, if not superior to it. Otherwise, we don't live in a functional democracy. Okay, so are you arguing that no matter what, we don't back down? Because to me, like, I'm like, yeah. I understand. I'm like, I like the don't back down. I really do. But at some point, there will be real risks. With I don't think we've. Order. I don't think we've hit the point yet where it's time to back down. Let's put it that way. I think I think the risk on the side of backing down is that we lose and also any normalize in this. Our yeah, I think we I think we normalize this behavior, which only encourages this risk to recur. Right yeah. until Trump senses this threat as genuinely imminent as it is, as you do, right? Yeah, he will do this again. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how much... I just wanted this to be a thought exercise. Like, I'm just... Yeah. So, short of genuine and absolutely existential threat, you can't enable this tactic. Okay, that's fair. Is So, I guess uh, another way of rephrasing the same kind of thought experiment is yeah. what price the wall? Like, what would Trump give you in order for you to say, I'm cool with the I wall? I think we had this conversation a year ago. I mean, for me... <laughs> right, right. Because you say nothing, and I'm like... I have a long list, right. and so, so that's that's, so, that's that's kind of yeah. Because to me, there's two very different questions at hand here. One, what price the wall, and two, what price allowing intentional shutdown of the government to extract concessions from Congress? Those are two different questions. Yeah, like if the wall were decided democratically, then it doesn't matter what I want. If the wall was decided by Congress passing this budget, I guess I, I guess that happened, right? Like. You know, I mean, ideally, the wall should be decided by a referenda of the border districts, right? 
like the I mean no, I, I don't it, agree internally that. among the you know like the the Congress I I think they should be more privileged mm. in, in what they say than I mean for me personally for me personally in terms of putting money toward the wall so much depends on the restrictions that you put around it if you're repairing existing right. fencing or if you were to put in a poison pill that says that um, the funds can't be used to build on land claimed through eminent domain right well, that's my personal here's the preferred thing. here's the thing I mean the right. wall is not a popular policy yeah. it's an underwater policy by like 14 points so yeah. we're looking at a minority policy right mm-hmm. that the people of america don't want as reflected which also by, is not effective right, right? well like, i mean it doesn't be beyond that yeah. like many things are not effective that people want or don't want but they were elected these people were elected to mm-hmm. represent the will of the people mm-hmm. right there was an election before this wall mm-hmm. preparatory to it in which the people who were against it won in a clear majority right mm-hmm. and so now we're attempting to they're attempting to pass this minority policy that people don't want using a minority government that mm-hmm. is ineffective at getting the votes that it needs after having unanimously passed a budget that does not have the wall in it. it and is, after having had full yeah, control of government for two years. After having full control of government for two years in which they could have brought this to at any time. At yeah. any time which they chose yeah. not to do. So this is in effect their attempt, their last attempt to, in my opinion, to make the Democrats functionally unnecessary by saying democracy no longer exists anymore and your vote doesn't matter so the moment we give in it's it's going to create unending cynicism cascading all down the line as far as anybody who for the past two years has been fighting yeah i mean unfortunately for better or worse i do think there's something to what miracle jones is saying here and we have reached a point where the democrats are the only pro-democracy party Right. I think that Republicans are almost either overtly or covertly more and more anti-democratic in their positions on a variety of issues, Um, many of them concerning covert or overt voter suppression. Right. But also in terms of these extreme hostage taking tactics in order to try to push minority positions at, you know, in every branch of government. Right. So here's so here's the thing: the shutdown itself has created an emergency, right? That's yeah. what you're saying. So, but that that has been created by one person. Right. Right. And uh, the emergency has well, I'm identifying a risk that is yeah. sort of a a low probability, high impact risk, and yeah. so that bothers me. And that's just to say that hey, once you think about risk, like there is a risk in this strategy. It's not. I mean, we I I agree with you guys. I agree that also, we should continue I to stand. Also, I think it's time. But I think that, yeah. It's time for American voters to get tired of interesting. Yeah. Right. I would like to see American voters get interesting event fatigue, which I think is happening. Right. Yeah. You I know mean, that's that's fair. I mean, I would yeah. want us to go back to like a relatively stable, boring government that actually pays its bills that I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Yeah. And maybe, you know. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's seriously it seriously <laughs> concerns me that the U.S. government could default on its bond payments. Sure. Um, but do yeah. I think that it's the obligation of duly democratically elected representatives to fold to hostage taking no but i, I that, no I that, that's fine yeah. yeah i i just want to say that i think right now both sides are locked in a mentality that can't compromise and just in case things get really bad i'm not sure i i'm not sure it'll it'll happen right like so the, the whole hope is that on both sides is they cave and they'll be like yeah. oh i'm gonna take this and so that's not. I that. think so. So, there so were, I don't know. I don't know what the out is, right? Like, I mean, in gen, in classic negotiation, right? You want to give someone the out. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell so you. I'll I, tell you the out, and it's not the Treasury Department. It's not defaulting on bonds. It's the CDC, 
right? So what oh, do you, you think mean, of disease? I think I think or Amer- FDA. Yeah, I think America is way more afraid of stuff like that than they are like bond payments. So I do think I do think there's been slightly more progress than there had been for weeks today because um, so along with this uh, non-starter measure that Trump has proposed which is like sort of full of poison pills which is we'll give a temporary extension on DACA along with essentially shutting down the ability of unaccompanied minors from Central America to apply for asylum inside of this country um, and then we also get the wall so but in order to get that to the floor, it seems that McConnell and Schumer have worked out a verbal agreement whereby a temporary funding extension will also be brought to the floor separately, which has been passed in the House. Now, I think it will be interesting to see if either of those passes the Senate or hilariously both, because then at that point, there's more room for face-saving negotiation, I think. And it saves McConnell the trouble he's clearly been avoiding here, which is he doesn't want to be the guy who forces Trump to fold, right? Yeah. Right. He, yeah, I, 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 in all seriousness, I don't, and we talked a little bit, we talk, like to think about strategy, but I don't know what is the, the and maybe this is the way out, but what is, where are we willing to, give a little and 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 take a little in the process where do we climb down what are what are the what are the processes yeah. in place because i feel like we are there's something about the president and his way of being that is you know can be obstinate and willing to dig his in his heels i will with a huge huge asterisk is that historically he's eventually caved right like i mean that's the thing like he'll mm-hmm. talk tough he'll he'll walk back negotiations uh, sorry he will walk back negotiations he'll He'll reverse typical positions. He'll try to up the stakes. Eventually, he caves because he's just bad at it. But in this process, this way of digging in, I just feel like there's there's so much heightened sense of uh, of being a standing your own ground yeah. that this could there is a scenario where this is a disaster. Like you don't you can know you don't see the disaster coming, and you've already dug in your positions, and no one's willing to sort of meet in some sort of middle. So that's. That's what I I, I, I mean, that's a scenario. I'm not saying that it isn't it or that you should cave or whatever, but I I, I, I do get a little worried that the, there are intractable positions. I've, I have two things to say. One is an analysis of Trump and the other is a plan. Mm-hmm. But the, my analysis of Trump is he's most comfortable when he's bankrupt and someone else he has, and his, and his leverage is, look how incompetent I am, now you have to do it for me, which is his position vis-a-vis the Republican Party right now, mm-hmm. right? He's forced them to absorb his toxic asset which is himself and he's hoping that this and also run cover around his like corrupt practice yeah this is the leverage that he actually has against the republicans right yeah so that's what he's doing i don't think it has anything to do with yeah i mean i think as much as this has been billed as brinkmanship between trump and pelosi like this is my personal opinion this is brinkmanship between trump and mcconnell yeah yeah right so right so so and we're forcing them to go at odds against each other and maybe something will come from that maybe not but it has nothing to do i I think both of you are bringing a really good point here's here's what i would counsel both the republicans and the democrats to do is to simplify this shit and dis disentangle these things and there should be bipartisan legislation bipartisan bill called like the wall bill which is a bill that you know the house can bring a republican and democrat can bring it and it just has what trump wants and the agreement can be we will bring this bill to the american people if he reopens government we will put this up for a vote the wall bill i i've heard that discussed i think yeah i think it's brilliant i think it's great because people can you know it's what democracy is supposed to be for one thing Mm. 
right? You know, and it would be a permanent wall that we would be putting on the on the you know border. I you know whichever if, if America wants this, you know, I would gladly and happily accept it. You know, that would be it, I would have a chance to fight against it and using the tools that I have, which are you know as a citizen telling people that I think it's a bad idea, right? We would all have that chance, and that would be democracy done, you know, in plain sight and publicly, right? I don't know, you know, I, I don't know why the Republicans can't trust that their wall, that they can't defend this wall or sell it, you know, but in any other way than through anti-democratic means that so endanger let me, people. Let me build on this, and, and I will just, uh, I come from sleazy uh, uh, businessmen, uh, yeah. and I want to say that if I saw someone who was so obviously corrupt and so so upfront with what they wanted in life, yeah. I just feel like we aren't taking advantage of that. So <laughs> I, to me, I like this is someone who's so weak. Why? Uh, why am I not manipulating uh-huh, this? Uh-huh. It feels so easy. And so why? Uh, so that's pro- also anti-democratic. Like, well, I don't like that. So I did. I did. Yeah. Um, I put. A, I had a post. I put up on Facebook. I think Miracle Jones saw it because we had a conversation about it. But where I proposed that Democrats should offer Trump. A billion for his wall for a $15 minimum wage, a billion for his wall for a public option that's available to everyone, a billion for his wall for quadrupling the number of available visas in every category with like feasible paths to citizenship. Just like make the ask too high. Move the Overton window. I think doing (laughs) government that way or accepting that government can be done that way, it already concedes the point that we're dealing with like a imperial executive, right? Like that is not but how government should be done. Like we, why have a Congress if we're not going to use it or accept its, its, you know, its judgment? Or I mean, we have no levers in order to, you know, like. But that, I think the imperial precedent has been around. I mean, it's, I, I mean, don't like that. I don't like it. But any, I mean, I that, like but that's how politics it. has been performed. I would say since. Eisenhower? I mean, like, I'm the uh, maybe FDR, maybe even before that. Like, well, look, here's what's different about it, right? Here's yeah. what's different about this scenario: is it's not Congress standing up to the president; it's Congress backing down in favor of its president, right? It's not Congress using its powers; it's Mitch McConnell, re- one person, refusing to bring this up because he knows that the president would have to be challenged by Congress itself, which is the point of the government. That's a built-in check and balance that we're circumventing right, right I mean, now in order for a president not to be embarrassed, which is... But I mean, I, his whole thing is that he can supposedly absorb embarrassment. Is he so fragile that he can't stand up to Congress? Is he such well, like but a... I, 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 mean, I think the clearly, way that you're conceiving... Yes. I, I would say the Founding Fathers conceived of the Congress as a check on the president, but the party system undercuts that. Like, almost from its inception, right? Like, so you would say that the Congress, once the Congress and and the president are in the same party, then that that check is no longer there, right? I mean, I, I guess I would agree with you if the Senate hadn't already unanimously passed this bill. I mean... <laughs> so we already know what their cards are. They, none of them think it's an emergency. Not one. Even Tom fucking Cotton. So that's where we are. Mm. So it's only one person. You know, everybody else, we know what they have in their pocket, and it's fucking their hands. So... Mm. You know, it's 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 only Trump, and it's only an attempt to keep him from being personally embarrassed. There was a way that the politics evolved. Yeah. That the Democrats didn't have this instinctive loathing that they needed to move Trump out of power immediately in November of 2016, and instead, all the Republicans were talking about how Donald Trump is a is a cutout for the Democratic Party because he seems to be like doing exactly what the Democrats want because 
we have tacitly given him the approval to do whatever, build the wall or blah, blah, blah. There were some, or whatever. We gave him what he wanted, and he therefore did things like support universal health care. Like, I mean, there were there were ways to have played this that I don't mm. think... Would, uh, fictionally. I, yeah. Okay, in this, uh, allow me this fantasy. Yeah, that there was sure. A, yes, there was, there was a way that would, that would be like, oh, we have actually captured Donald Trump, and that would have been an interesting mm. scenario. I'm just saying. Totally. I mean, if, if I, happened, I think he was, if, yeah. I think he's venal and corrupt enough that there were there may have been a path. I think it's. But, I don't. I, I, I disagree right. with you. I disagree with you. I think as soon as he was voted down by popular vote, primarily yeah. by Democrats, that was already out the window. Yeah, I, I get it. I get it. I, I, I just, I think it's an interesting thing where the Democrats. What would it have taken to have people? <laughs> Like him, been, uh, to have Donald Trump have been a, a cat's paw for the Democratic Party. There's no controlling Donald Trump's information because he can't physically take it in. Right. So in order for him to be an effective cat's paw, he'd have to be smart enough to read. Get on, get on, Fox and Friends. <laughs> yeah, or or you could just get to Jamaica. <laughs> I mean, we tried. That's been tried. Right? I mean, it's. Uh, I'll leave it there. I think there are risks with the current strategy. Right, but we're also not. I think we're downplaying severely. The risks of what would happen, reputation-wise, foreign policy-wise, human rights-wise, if we were to allow the wall to happen. I think the risk of like this—it's not just we're spending five billion and Trump has a good day. What this allows is for, you know, other countries to begin the process and poss- possibly succeed of sanctioning us. It be, be it creates a you never. I mean, you guys haven't been to the border, but. These are actual towns there, right? We're making we're making not just one Berlin, but five in Texas alone, right? Where we're taking entire towns, we're splitting them down the middle, and we're we're putting families on one side or the other, right? There's a real cruelty to the wall. I'll agree with that. I it's don't. Not, well, it's not. It's not just a cruelty. What I'm saying is that this this gives our enemies a chance. You know, whoever they might be, Venezuela, Russia. China, a chance to slam dunk on America over and over again in ways we haven't seen since the Cold War, since Bonnie Cambodia. I don't think we. I don't think in any way that we make, we lose a significant higher ground in the sense that I don't think I don't think it has that that ramification. I have you ever have you ever talked to anybody about Israel versus Palestine? I know that you have. <laughs> it's not fun, right? Super and, fun. But the the thing one of the things that all come always comes back to is the wall, right? The the wall between Israel and Palestine and how we've created, you know, these we're going to make that in Piedras Negras and in Juarez. I think I think it's a different scenario. I mean, I entirely aside from wall or no wall, um, I think yielding to shut down veto threat is itself an existential threat. Like at some point, I realize that there's a small but real risk of a genuine calamity. But at some point, something has to happen to teach Donald Trump that being the president can have consequences. I mean, nothing is going to do that. But what the continued shutdown fight will do is it will teach America slowly and painfully that there's only one side that believes in democracy anymore. I would I would put it a different way, but I would say that there's only one side that believes that government should be open and functioning, right? Yeah. So yeah. there was something about the pie. Also, it appears to be teaching America that de- that uh, government does things. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's right. right. It's a right. civics course. Yeah. What, what, it, it, what, like, unfortunately, that's yeah. what well, a large federal state actually does. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, and we're so, gonna we're gonna. It's see like it. oh, it turns out that someone has 
to pay FBI agents or, and well, air traffic CSA controllers. Or, and, yeah, yeah. or the FDA agents. I'm more concerned about air traffic controllers than TSA agents. The someone has to sign, like, tax refunds, you yeah. know? Someone has to... That, I mean, a lot of this stuff is just going to happen piecemeal as that reopens. I'm more, I'm more, or as, as bills get passed, I am legitimately more worried about stuff like the CDC. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's it's it, you know like for instance Ebola is in the in the Democratic Republic of Congo right now yeah. it's headed toward Goma right mm-hmm. if it were to hit Goma then that's a million people right there who you know and also the problem is the the DRC right now is uh, they don't have a leader right yeah. so yeah. it's uh, that's in a, it, there's one speaking side speaking of government not functioning speaking of government not functioning and there's one side that actually benefits from the Ebola outbreak because it keeps the election from happening right so mm. they're actually trying it's fucking oh, sick wow. and sinister but they're actually trying to you know curtail the intervention of, of this Jesus. disease in order to keep the people there from being able to finalize this vote mm-hmm. Uh, which would lead to the ousting of the people in power there right now. So let's say that we're in that nightmare scenario and Ebola does hit Goma, right? These are, these are, this is the kind of thing where, you know, Obama, you know, un- unleashed a, a couple billion in order to fight it last time, mm-hmm. right? Like, how is that going to happen? The, our president already has no incentive to, probably a counter incentive to save African lives, right? Mm-hmm. And probably no insight into how these lives would affect our lives, right? It didn't, it didn't Obama wasn't even able to begin to unleash these funds until we had an outbreak in Texas and Maybe New York. if we can get him to play that one uh, pandemic game. <laughs> Well, I mean, but the thing is, it needs to happen now. Like, it needs to happen yesterday. We, yeah. we need to be, like, worried about this kind of thing. You know, there's a there's a vaccine, right? But at the same you time... You don't have to sell me on the idea that government needs to function. Well, I, know, I know. I mean, I'm just saying, you know, this is something that I personally am concerned about. But there's a million things like this. Yeah. It isn't necessarily the things you think about that are yeah. just, like, direct. It's the fact well, that we've lo- we're losing our ability to plan ahead. Yeah. We've, like, lost currently. We're right now in a situation where we're adrift and we're no longer able to think strategically. Also, we're... By the day, as both you and Kamala have alluded to, racking up the number of additional risk factors of things that most people normally don't even think about that government takes protective action against, right? Like, um, which is a concern because that's like work that we don't really appreciate when it's being done, but we miss it when it's gone. So... We, we came, we created a government and allocated all these funds in the past for a reason they were to solve problems and now we've stopped solving all of those problems at once right we're no longer paying all of our you know we're no longer honoring all the problems that the easy problems that we solved with the budget and now we're deciding from from the beginning again which things are important based upon which problems crop up which is fucking insane and let's see how long this this game goes i mean right like that's that's crazy you know uh, it, it, I guess it's a libertarian uh, audit by cruelty, but uh, I, 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 we're a giant country. And I mean, we'll probably back down in some way. Yeah. Just, I think we'll get a way. We'll find a way to fund the government. Um, I am not actually sure if this goes poorly. Then I'm not exactly sure what happens to the Freedom Caucus. Yeah. I think they take the they the. Flirting with ch- shutdowns as a good way to run government, I think that ends. If, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think it needs to end, like, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I mean, think of 
this is one or two weeks away from something, or three weeks maybe, from something really disastrous. And at that point, the idea that we would shut down governments as part of negotiations for small things, I think, goes away. Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like we've now done a full show on the <laughs> <laughs> shutdown. Ugh, okay. darkness. <laughs> All right, oh, yeah. uh, if that's it, uh, yeah, yeah. thanks everyone for listening. This has been episode 58. Uh, room of requirement, and thanks to Kevin Carter for doing that <laughs> intro and outro. We have a big deal here, Kevin. So. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah.